Hey everyone, I'm Jacob Cohen Donnelly and this is a Media Operator. This show is a discussion about building media companies for current and prospective media operators. We discuss business models, products, audience development, subscriptions, advertising, commerce, everything to help you with your media business. To learn more and to become a premium member of the newsletter, visit amediaoperator.com slash amopodcast to receive 10% off a yearly subscription. My guest this week is Nick Fries, the founder and CEO of Digiday Media. During our 50-minute conversation, we discussed why he launched at the worst possible time, the intentional decisions they've made to rethink the structure of the organization over the past year, and what they've learned running membership across multiple verticals. I hope you enjoy our discussion. In 2015, you wrote a blog post called A Founder's Story, Seven Lessons on Building a Modern Media Business. And in it, you said, the Digiday story goes back to April 1st, 2008, when only a fool would start a media company. It was the second worst economy since the Great Depression, and it was a very bad time to start a media business. How did you get into media, and why did you decide to launch Digiday at the worst possible time? Great question, and um, guilty as charged. Uh, only a fool would start a business at that time. And what happened was I had a, a big change in my life. But before I get to that, I can talk to you a little bit about um, you know, my background. I was in publishing for years. I was at Hearst. I was at Meredith. I left those big uh, corporate structures to, and got into startups um, as soon as the internet really started to bubble up. And uh, once I got into those startups, I realized that, you know, that was the place for me. I loved building businesses from scratch. I was at media technology startups, and then I left those and then got back into publishing and helped build a B2B uh, media company and uh, was there for about eight years. And then I got fired from that job. Um, and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, you know, I, I'd always wanted to build my own business. You know, I had, um, you know, spent lots of time writing out business plans uh, for probably about a decade, you know, tried things, didn't work, uh, you know, so stayed in a, you know, company job. And then, you know, now that I ha- had no job and I had to figure out how to make money, I thought, you know, this was my time. And um, so I launched uh, Digiday. It wasn't Digiday at the time. It was called uh, DM2 Events. And I wanted to build uh, a community for publishers at that time, because in 2008, you know, publishers were being completely transformed by digital technology. You know, the, the web was coming up and, you know, that's all anyone could talk about or focus on. And so I wanted to help big media companies manage that transformation from analog companies to digital media companies. So um, that's how I started it. And, you know, I cashed out my teeny puny 401k and I put it all down on to what was then DM2 events. And, um, Away I went. And, you know, the the good thing about that time is that I had a lot of friends in the industry. And it's one of the things that I talk about in, in that piece. Um, you know, you have to have friends, especially, you know, when you're you know building something from scratch. And I had formed a, a good network. And so they, you know, they spoke at my show. They, you know, they helped me with the operations. They helped me market it, spread word of mouth. Um, and uh, so... I launched something called the 
digital publishing and advertising conference back in June of 2008. And uh, that's kind of where it started. And when you started, was it purely an events business or had you also started a publication? Well, it was purely an events business because, look, I, I had no money. I mean, I had like $30,000 and I had to put that all into the venue costs, basically. So I had to sell tickets and I had to, I sold three sponsors. And after that event was over, I had $3,000 left to my name. And uh, so what are you going to do with $3,000 when that's all you have left? You, you hire a salesperson. <laughs> so I... Um, hired a person who uh, worked solely on commission and, you know, paid a, uh, <clears throat> a small draw to that $3,000. And so that, that was a really important step for me, but you know, the whole plan from the beginning was to build a community, right? It wasn't just an events business, although that's what took me forward for a long period of time. The idea was to build a community. So events were going to be a part of that, but also I wanted to put media at the center of it because that's the connective tissue right, between um, an or a community is, is content and, you know, connecting people with, with ideas and information um, and help make them smarter about, you know, the, the industry that they're in and, um, you know, with, with the pro work that they're doing. So uh, I launched a really bad newsletter in July of 2008, and uh, it was, you know, poorly edited. It was, um, it was called the DN2 Daily. And I had friends contribute contribute to it. You know, I wrote stories. I mean, I think you know, um, I think even at, at the time, I had friends who were outside the industry writing for it. You know, I just wanted to do anything and everything I could to just keep the conversation going between that first event and the community and the next event, which was planned uh, about three months, four months later. And so at what point did you recognize you needed to really start investing in the media side of things and start bringing on more traditional reporters and editorial staff? Yeah, that's, it's a great question. And it took me some time because I was so busy with the event community and that was driving the majority of revenue for us. Um, I was, you know, we were selling sponsorships. We were um, creating events um, in all these different verticals back at the back in 2008, 2009, 2010. So we, I mean, we had Digiday everything. It was Digiday, you know, a colon, it was video, it was apps, it was Digiday Target, it was Digiday Networks. I mean, if, if there was anything in interactive, all you had to do is just slide that word into uh, Digiday and we did a show around it. But um, I realized that I could only get so far with the events uh, without, you know, a lot of media behind it and, and a true... Uh, publishing business that was run by editorial talent and and have real journalism at the heart of it. So uh, about three and a half years in, um, I teamed up with uh, with Brian Morrissey and um, hired him from from Adweek, uh, where he was a digital reporter. And then he and I set off to build the media business, which we did. I want to spend a bit of time talking about team composition. Because I feel like getting this right is integral to a vertical publisher's ability to grow horizontally like you have. How does the organization look today from a people perspective? And where have you staffed up? And where do you think you'd likely staff up going forward? Uh, it's, it's a great question. It's, it's something that you know, every media company has to figure out. And it's, a, it's, constantly, uh, it's constantly moving and it's constantly in flow. 
um, you know, the organizational structure as well as uh, talent is, is constantly moving. You have to constantly evaluate what's working and what isn't. And so we've changed a lot from, you know, those early days and even from just a year ago. Um, about, you know, a year ago at this time, we were really had two departments. We had editorial on one side of the office then there was a big divide by a conference room and a reception desk at our office. And then there was the business side. The business side operated you know, independently. Editorial team operated independently. There was complete autonomy. And you know, they didn't really work um, very closely together. They sort of were operating in their, you know, their own cultures, their own systems. And I realized that you know, as we go forward, as you know, the type of media company we are, we have to figure out a way to bring everything together. And, but that doesn't mean that you jeopardize the editorial integrity or the autonomy of that team. Um, but, you know, we have to become one team. And, you know, uh, if, especially if you've got memberships starting to come into the heart of your organization, memberships has to live between editorial and the business side. And then if you've got events and you want to continue to scale the events, you know, the business side and the content team have to come together and work closely together. So that, that was important, um, you know, as well as just developing new products and, and sharing data and insights. You know, we had to bring these teams together. So that's what it was a year ago. But if you look at it today, essentially the way the teams are organized and we've got, you know, three media brands with, with Digiday covering media marketing and advertising, glossy covering fashion and beauty industries, and then modern retail covering the DTC industry as well as traditional retail markets. Um, we have three editor-in-chiefs, uh, you know, one for each one of those titles. Uh, they have their own independent teams that, that work uh, with them. Uh, so they have their own set of reporters. Um, there's business teams that are aligned with each one of those titles. Um, we have a, a team that sells across the titles. And then we have product that sits right at the center between editorial and between business. And before, product was, was a part of editorial. And what I realized is that product really is everything, right, as, as, as a media company. Because product is obviously all the software that you use, audience development, it's memberships, it's um, you know, email, email production, um, you know, it's, it's ad delivery. Uh, it's in almost everything that we do, product. So essentially now the way we're organized is we have the teams more or less in a triangle. So there's, there's product, there's business, and then there's editorial. I want to spend some time digging into the horizontal nature of Digiday Media, because like you said, you have those three brands, Digiday, Glossy, and Modern Retail. Mm -hmm. How have you approached launching these verticals? And if you think about the vertical as a group of people, how much of that is dedicated just to the vertical versus being able to spread those people over multiple verticals? Right. And it's, again, a great question and something we've had to figure out because originally what we did is we just used one team, you know, under, um, you know, one EIC uh, that was managing people that, you know, were, were reporting across brands. Uh, we had a business team that sold across every single brand. We had a marketing team that, you know, handled every single brand. And uh, I realized that if we wanted to continue to grow each one of these um, 
you know, these media hubs, we had to give them their own identity, their own teams, while tapping into some, um, you know, service departments, you know, whether it was finance or, you know, event operations, awards, things like that. Um, we needed to have dedicated teams because they could go deeper, right? Um, so modern retail has its own reporters. It has its own sales team. So you've, we've got sellers that just put together deals and, and, and marketing programs and advertising campaigns and event programs for modern retail. And then the same thing for Glossy. It's got its own team dedicated to it. And then we also have marketing resources that are dedicated to our retail properties that just work on those brands. And then we have a whole set of uh, team members that just work on Digiday. So we're about a year ago, we were you know, spread across all the brands and we sort of operated them under one umbrella. Uh, I realized as we were moving forward, I wanted to operate them independently. I wanted them to find you know, their own voice and their you know, somewhat their own culture um, and develop their own identities and not just be tied to Digiday. Because I think, you know, the brands that, that we're operating right now, um, you know, I think modern retail and glossy you know, have all the opportunity to be uh, as influential uh, and as big a business as Digiday is. Um, so it was important to, you know, let them grow out of, um, you know, the the umbrella of, of Digiday and uh, build you know, the, the, their strength and their identity on their own. Um, but the only other thing I, I, I you know, I, I didn't mention before is that, you know, a big part of this now for us is, you know, obviously figuring out the organizational piece, which, which we're doing, but also figuring out the culture piece, because that was one thing that we really um, did not do particularly well. Um, you know, we're, we're a media business, so people are, you know, your greatest asset. And we were so focused for so many years on, you know, building the outside piece, okay, building great products that went out to the market that served our audiences that we could monetize and, um, you know, keep growing top line, grow bottom line, grow staff size, grow markets, grow, grow, grow. But what we weren't doing very well is we weren't focusing in on our team and growing our team. So we had, you know, a lot of, a lot of turnover. Um, we had, you know, a bit of a shaky culture. And so I realized that, you know, that's actually job one for us. You know, figuring out your organizational system is, is obviously paramount. Figuring out your process is paramount. And I think the thing that, you know, once you can figure that out, the thing that really matters in this front and center is that you've got a great plan for employee health. Um, and that's mental health and that's, you know, uh, professional development and, and growth and give them opportunities to grow within the organization, you know, help them with mobility, um, you know, take them from, you know, their, their entry spot and then just set a path for them and figure out what they do best and help them grow. Because if you're doing that well, I believe the rest takes care of itself. Um, and so we're really doubling down, especially now because it's such a difficult time and you know we're not all together so which which makes it even more difficult i want to spend a little bit more time talking about the vertical strategy because digiday media is not the only b2b company that does this multiple b2b companies approach the same strategy of launching multiple verticals how do you determine the right vertical to move into do you have a playbook that you use like what has been your approach there yeah, so we, we launched everything out of Digiday. So we, we played with, um, you know, these verticals, these areas, these markets inside of the Digiday brand. So we launched retail coverage about, you know, four, four plus, five plus years ago. 
And we realized that, um, you know, there was some appetite there, but not what it is now. But we found that there was an appetite for uh, fashion and beauty coverage. And we started doing, believe it or not, just on, on Digiday. And the story started to pop. So I also saw that there was uh, a seam in the market that, you know, that the incumbents like Women's Wear Daily, um, you know, were really not covering the digital marketplace. And so I felt we could get in there and do that. So um, we jumped in there, you know, so you've got your BOFs and you've got your WWDs. And so we carved out a nice niche for Glossy and, you know, covered the transformation of the fashion and beauty industries. And so that brand has grown really nicely and has a, a strong identity. And we're actually even now taking that to uh, consumer coverage. So, you know, essentially that was incubated outside of Digiday. Uh, out of Digiday. And then Modern Retail, you know, was just an extension of coverage that we were having uh, through Digiday. And again, we were doing events for retail and I just felt it was time to launch a brand around that. So a lot of it was test and learn from inside of Digiday on the event side, on the coverage side, um, and what the appetite was for our audience. And, you know, for us, I know there's there are a ton of publications out there covering these spaces, but we just try and do it, you know, um, you know, with our own sensibilities. Um, you know, and there are a lot of companies out there that have found a way to differentiate and are, and are valuable and are valuable brands and, and, and they're growing like crazy and, and it's great to see. Um, it's a fantastic time to be in media if, if you're differentiated. And so that's what we focus in on is obviously, you know, telling original reporting, high quality journalism, um, having our own unique point of view and formats, um, and then just focusing in on our community. And and uh, just you know operating by our own set of sensibilities. You used to have a financial vertical called Tearsheet that I believe you no longer publish. What did you learn running that, and why don't you think it worked? Yes, oh. <laughs> that was that was uh, that was a good experience. And you know, look, um, we we learned a ton from uh, you know from that venture. And I will tell you the first the, the first mistake that that I made is there was this this arrogance of, you know uh, that I had at the time that oh well you know we we built Digiday we're building Glossy and you know we can just attack all these industries and and, and um, you know use the same sort of playbook and just apply it to any market and so fintech was was blowing up like martech was blowing up and adtech was blowing up. And I thought, well, if we can figure this out, we can figure that out. And uh, <laughs> uh, I was sorely mistaken. And uh, the reason was it was because it was such an amorphous industry. It's gigantic. And, you know, for us, it, we really try and figure out a buy side and a sell side. And then what we do is we plant ourselves in the middle. Um, so, for example, with media and marketing, you know, the buy side are the brands and, you know, the the, the sell side or the, the media companies and tech companies. Well, in fintech, try and figure out the buy and sell side. It is really difficult, and so we didn't we didn't know the industry as well as we should have. Uh, I think we just went in there with a little bit too much bluster and overconfidence, and you know we dabbled around for a couple of years, and um, you know we did get some traction, uh, but just not enough to uh, create a viable um, business for us, and so. What we did is we uh, we sold the business back to um, the partner that we launched with, and they're still running it. But you know it's um, you know it's going in a different direction now, and um, and I'm glad that we we had that experience because it you know you learn so much from failure, 
and what we failed a ton uh, at Digiday uh, over the years. And, and that certainly was uh, a failure. And, um, you know, I realized a couple things, you know, have a really good plan, know the market, you know, understand a clear buy sell side, you know, figure out a great niche for yourself and, um, and then just, you know, move a little bit uh, more slowly. Since you treat each publication somewhat independently, from an audience development perspective, what do you think works particularly well at the various verticals? Yes, um, you know, there's uh, first and foremost, we we want a direct connection with our audience, and so to us, the direct connection obviously is the email address, and that's paramount. We we want to have an email address, you know, from almost everybody that comes to visit Digiday. Uh, we want to try and get your email address so we can have that connection. So we can invite you to try various email newsletters or briefings that we have or invite you to events or, um, you know, have you download some of our research or partner research. Um, so a, a lot of what we do is try and capture email address and, uh, addresses and grow those. And there's, a, you know, a lot of tactics that we use, uh, you know, we use Bounce Exchange. Um, so, you know, we've got gated content, we have memberships, we do events, we do all sorts of downloads, um, you know, we've got awards. And so we have emails that come in from all over, you know, the, the corners of these industries and we've got products that we've got set up to, to bring all that email in. And so for the way I look at it is the top of the funnel has got to be that email address. It's, you know, page view is nice, but um, you know, for us is, you know, how do we get that email address uh, into our system and then build a relationship with uh, that person? And also, you know, we want to have, um, you know, a connection that means something. So if someone's not opening our emails or um, they're not engaged, then, you know, we'll just scrub them from, from our system um, because we want to make sure that we've got engagement. And if someone hasn't opened an email in, you know, a, a certain period of time, we will, you know, we'll just we'll let them go. I want to pivot the conversation now to talk about the actual business models that ensure that you actually have profit to run this business, since most niche media companies actually try to operate from a profitable perspective. Uh, so the first major part of the business is the events component, which, like we discussed earlier, is how the entire business started. I've actually been to one of the Digiday events and was planning to go to another one before COVID hit. Can you talk through your event model and how you monetize them? Sure. Yes. Well, I mean, we started with events, you know, that, that, that is our, our legacy. And, um, it, it's really, uh, it's, it, it's been a great place to start because we did, we started from community, we started with community building from the beginning. And so that remains the model today. It's not really about scaled events. It's about community developing communities. And we started with Digiday and we started building summits. And the summits are high level events where we bring um, anywhere from 150 to max size 500 executives together, higher level executives together. And it's basically a 50-50 split between the buy side and sell side. So there's lots of great networking and business gets done. So that was always my you know, primary model for the events. We need to create a community where people can do business together. It's, you know, content is nice and it's great. And, you know, to, um, you know, Brian's credit and the team's credit, they, they realized on the editorial side that the content was just sort of a 
conduit and just sort of the you know bringing people together piece and learning is important there's no doubt about it and information is exchanged but i think the the primary thing we do at these events is is a networking and the business that gets done you know at in the hallways at the breaks at the dinners uh, at the you know after events um you know sitting down to breakfast and first thing in the morning or the serendipitous meetings you know um when you're checking into registration things like that um so that's that was the business model you know pretty much from from day one and that hasn't really changed other than we've really sort of supercharged the meeting aspect of it so we've got these one-on-one meetings that we do throughout the event where you know if you're an attendee you can see who's coming we we set up meetings for you throughout the duration of the event and um you know that's that's pretty much um you know our, our view of how conferences run. And um, it, a lot of times we hear from our customers that come, uh, you know, this, this is part of their marketing budget. Part it comes from the cost of sales, doing sales, because they come and, you know, they're, they're doing real business out of these things. Um, so that's the approach. And it's actually the approach across all three brands. We started with Digiday. We brought the same approach to Glossy and we're bringing the same approach to, um, to modern retail. And for the, on the brand side of things, you know, a lot of times, whether you're you know, a marketer or at an agency, um, you don't really get a chance uh, to get out of the office and you can get a, you know, a month's worth of meetings in three days with, with technology vendors and media companies and, and what have you. So uh, there, there is a win-win on both sides. And then, you know, the last piece of it, we always try and find great places to hold our events. We, we do them in everywhere from Barcelona to Vail to um, Kyoto. Um, and we do them all over the world. Now, obviously with COVID, you've had to pivot to virtual events like most publishers. Since COVID started, I've always said that a publisher that can figure out how to run a hosted buyer event virtually would be in a very good place. Yes. Have you solved that problem? Um, I don't know if we've solved it, but we certainly did make the pivot. Um, we tried to take, you know, that experience that I just described at our summits and bring that to a virtual setting. So, uh, we, the first thing we did when COVID hit, once I saw that South by Southwest was canceled uh, in early March, I knew that was it. And I knew that we were going to have to take all of our events for the rest of the year and then turn them into virtual events and do them, try and do them with the, the same sort of spirit and, and form that we had been doing our in-person summits. And so the key piece to that was, okay, how do we get people to meet in a virtual setting? How do you do these one-on-one meetings in a virtual setting? So we, um, you know, built a system um, off of one of our partners' uh, platforms to uh, conduct these one-on-one meetings. And so it's worked. I mean, our we were able to reallocate a lot of sponsorship dollars uh, from our in-person events to our virtual events, a lot of our tickets to uh, the virtual events throughout the year. We had reallocated just about all of the deals that we had did, that we that we did in our upfront period from 2019 into 2020. Uh, so that was a big relief. Now we um, and it's not easy to conduct these meetings virtually. It's easy when you're you know in an event venue and everyone's together, but when people are all over the country and they are they have massive Zoom fatigue, and the last thing they want to do is jump on their computer again and have you know their twelfth Zoom uh, event of the day, it's it's tough. So um, 
we've had uh, we've been able to facilitate those those meetings, but they're not you know we're not we're not doing you know twelve meetings in a couple of days. You know we're doing like three or four, but we're trying to make them you know, as impactful as possible with those three to four, so people can actually do business. Moving to another part of the, I guess you can call it the events business, is the awards business. I've always found these to be interesting products because it's effectively dependent on the strength of the brand. How do you know when it makes sense for a particular publication to launch an award? Because you don't want to do it too soon and no one even care about it. Well, um, <laughs> we we built it uh, in reverse order because we built it when we actually didn't have a very strong brand. But I think uh, at the time we we launched, I launched events and I mean awards in in two thousand in 2009 and the brand wasn't even a year old uh, at the time um, but I, we were able to do it because the market was so different back then i mean if it was today you know wouldn't even have a chance but um so we you know had a softness in the market which gave us an opportunity to start doing award programs early on and so we've just built them over the last you know 10 years and but yes if we were to start them today I would make sure that our, our brands are, are stable enough and and mean enough to our audience uh, in the industry at large to, to launch them. Um, our approach has been uh, different than what a lot of companies do. I mean, we've broken our award scheme essentially into these vertical markets within our vertical publications. So with Digiday, uh, we have uh, 10 different award structures that are built into it. Glossy has two, Modern Retail has one. You know, I think Glossy and Modern Retail may grow over time. You know, we'll have to see. But with Digiday, you know, a lot of media companies just say, hey, we're going to have, you know, two big award programs or one big annual award program. Um, but our model was let's have, you know, competitions throughout the year uh, and build galas into them because, again, that's serving particular communities like uh, vid the video industry, like the content marketing industry, like the publishing industry, like the agency industry. Um, and so we just targeted those those verticals to go deep in those areas and reward the work that was happening um, you know, at the ground level. Moving to the advertising business, you have a variety of products that can be sponsored from the newsletter to websites to partner research podcasts. How do you package these to sell them? And then has COVID impacted the way you think about the advertising business? Uh, yes, absolutely. Well, COVID changed, you know, our whole business. Um, we, we were a company that 50% of our revenue came from events and then the, the rest came from memberships and marketing services, advertising, uh, Etc. And um, we we just basically just shut down you know, a big part of that business because the in person uh, went away. Um, so we became fully digital, hundred percent. Even our events were became digital. They became digital shows. Uh, they you know they weren't in person meetings anymore. So um, everything became a sponsorship opportunity, a digital sponsorship opportunity. So. We used, we leaned a lot on our custom marketing team that got involved with a lot of the reallocations, a lot of the deals during COVID to put together, you know, deeper, more integrated programs across the, the virtual events and the newsletters, um, you know, as well as the podcasts um, 
and and doing all sorts of lead gen because a lot of the lead gen went away uh, because the events were shut down. So we were doing you know a lot more lunch workshops and we were doing white paper downloads and um, all sorts of lead generation programs for for our clients. Um, but we primarily leaned into our custom marketing team uh, to help us with that. And the way that we sell it is primarily we have very small amount of revenue that comes in from programmatic. It's all direct sold. We have direct relationships with all of our sellers to our clients, either it's client direct or directly in with the agencies. And, you know, the way that we've structured our sales team um, is that we have an enterprise group of sellers. Then we have, you know, our our sellers that handle specific accounts. And then we have our inside sales team that take on, you know, all these new leads that are coming in through our website and uh, over the transom and build those into, you know, more of the growth team, build accounts that go into the growth team, but then from the growth team up into the enterprise team. So you mentioned that memberships have, were, were a decent chunk of the business. At what point did you realize you needed to have a membership component at Digiday Media and what went into building that? Yeah, it's, it's it's a great question, and I um, I mean I knew that our our team was creating you know, just sort of industry leading content, and and I thought the stories were uh, worth paying for, and so it was probably about four years ago uh, I started socializing that idea, and uh, you know it was not well received in the beginning. It was just no, you know we're we're not ready for that, or I don't think we should do that yet. And um, so I, you know, sat down with, um, you know, a person in the company and we just started to plan out what this could look like, what a membership business could look like. And, you know, funny enough, uh, we're sort of doing all those things today, although that's not actually how we entered. So into the membership business. So what, what happened was Brian had this great idea to create a magazine out of our uh, publishing summit. And you know, I thought it was a terrific idea. And then he and I talked about, well, what if we actually take it farther and we just develop, a, you know, a magazine, just a Digiday magazine? And, you know, Brian said, let's create a Digiday magazine. And so uh, we decided to do that because that was form, right? People were already sort of used to paying for um, for magazines and things on the newsstand or uh, subscribe to uh, publications that would be delivered to them, Um you know, there were very few titles in our space at the time that were that were charging memberships. Um, you know, Wall Street Journal was. Uh, I don't even think BI was doing it at the time when we launched. I think they were still uh, mostly free. So we just chose form as the first factor. So I think it was $195 per year, and you would get four issues of Digiday Magazine. Um, so, you know, that's a premium price uh, for four issues, but uh, people paid and uh, we, you know, we built a, you know, a strong community and they trusted our journalism and our reporting and, um, and that's where it all started. And then from there, um, we talked about what the next step was. So it was first, let's do form factor. Next, let's set up member exclusive content. And then it was member exclusive content to gated content. So it went from magazine to member exclusive, to then gated. So then, you know, it just evolved into all three. So the magazine was part of the membership and the way that, you know, you became a member is either you wanted to get to some of this content that was exclusive to members or you would hit the pay uh, paywall 
um, and you had read your three articles or four articles and you had to convert if you wanted to uh, get more content. So um, that's sort of how it how it evolved. And the other way it evolved is that, you know, the management and the operations of memberships first started in editorial. And this was a big change for us because, you know, editorial was now managing this business uh, inside of its group and, um, you know, did a great job. They did a great job scaling the memberships business to a certain point. And then I think we realized that in order to get it to the next level, because memberships are so complex, it, it goes so far beyond just creating content that's worth paying for. Uh, memberships, it's, it's a business product. So you have to manage it you know, as a product. And so if you put memberships inside an organization, uh, you have to have editorial, you need product, you need marketing, you need customer and client services, and you need sales and finance all orbiting around memberships. And so we had to make that evolution um, because running a memberships business, you can't just have editorial managing it because they'd have to manage customer service. They'd have to manage sales. They'd have to manage marketing. They'd have to manage finance. And that's not, you know, what the editorial team is set up to do. They're set up to create great content and packages and form and, um, and just create deep, deep reported stories that, that people want to pay for. But then there's this whole engine behind that, that has to be managed. And obviously audience development is a huge part of it and uh, insights and data and understanding, you know, what's working, what isn't, how to communicate that data across the groups, um, creating marketing campaigns, creating a whole enterprise sales system that's, that's built into that. So it evolves quickly once you get to a certain point. And um, so that was, you know, not an easy transformation for us to go from, okay, membership sits in this group. Now we need to evolve it and put it right in the heart of the company, in the middle of the company and have it product led. And look, that was a whole, uh, we had to socialize that across the, the, the organization and it took time for it to, to sink in. And I think, you know, now people can truly see why we made the changes that we did and, you know, how well it's working now and, um, you know, how much more life and impact you can have with memberships if it's wholly uh, run um, by the product group, but supported by all these existing groups. What technology powers the membership business and why did you choose it? A piano. Uh, we, you know, uh, went in early with piano and uh, we just had a high degree of confidence um, with Trevor and his team. And uh, they've been great consultants to us and they've helped us, you know, develop the system across all of our three brands. And, um, you know, it's they've got great consulting services. So they work really closely uh, with with the media company, with the media operator on how to get the most out of uh, your strategy and the tactics that are associated with it. Um, I mean, they're just really, really smart and the system is reliable. And so uh, we just, we've stuck with it. I know other publishers have gone out and built their own systems and use, uh, you know, uh, other competitors, but we found a home with piano and uh, we're really happy with them. So Digiday was the first of the publications to have this membership, but then the others have followed. I believe I saw that Galassi now has, uh, a membership. What are some of the things you learned with that first membership that have made it easier to power memberships for the newer brands? 
yes. I mean, obviously there's, there's ongoing learning and um, each brand is different and has its own nuance uh, to, to the audience. And what, you know, Glossy members pay for is slightly different than what Digiday members will pay for. So uh, not everything applied from Digiday to Glossy. But one thing we decided to do from the get-go is uh, we, we decided that we were going to use a, you know, a metered paywall. And so that you could get four free articles a month on Glossy. And if you wanted more, you, you had to pay for it. So that's that structure, that model set with Glossy as well as the member exclusives. So those are the two things that we learned that worked well as a form factor for Digiday that we that we carried over to Glossy. Um, but, you know, what makes uh, someone at Glossy buy a membership sometimes is different than what someone at Digiday will buy a membership for because the audiences are, are so different. Um, you know, the fashion and beauty industry uh, has its own set of dynamics uh, and needs uh, versus you know, publishers and technology companies and, and agencies. So um, I think the form factor was the key for us is figuring out, okay, this model of you know, gated content uh, using a meter plus membership, member exclusives works and let's carry that over to Glossy. And so we've built a, a very solid membership business um, for, for Glossy as well as Digiday. And then we carried that same form over to Modern Retail and with modern retail, we just we put it in from the from the get go. We wanted to train the market that if you want content, deeply reported stories on the transformation of the retail industry, uh, you know you, you have to pay for this this content. And so we're building our membership business, and it's been going well over the last year. Uh, actually, uh, by percentage of audience, we you know we have more memberships uh, with modern retail and glossy than we do uh, Digiday, and the retention is actually even better with glossy and modern retail right now. Obviously, we've got plans to continue to increase the retention uh, and keep uh, more subscribers on Digiday. Um, but um, but there are a lot of good signals across the board, and you know, we're, it's one of those things. Memberships, it, there's never one thing that truly drives it. Uh, you know, it's it's like SEO. Uh, you know, you have to constantly you know work at it, and um, it's 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 something that you have to optimize on a, on a daily basis and think about you know what your product map is and uh, you know how the market's responding to it. So since you are the CEO of a media company that happens to report on the business of media, which has always felt kind of meta to me, what are some trends that you're seeing today that you think will be important in media in the next couple of years? What has you excited and what has you scared? Um, well, I, I think memberships clearly are really exciting. I think, you know, the rush to memberships across the board is really exciting. Uh, I think it's uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's more of a challenge, I think, for companies that have uh, general, you know, content or content that's not differentiated. Um, but I think those media companies that can create uh, deeply reported stories and, and vibrant communities and um, high quality journalism, you know, with a real focus uh, can build a great business around memberships. And the thing about memberships is it goes it goes so far beyond just the content piece. It's what else can you add? To, to your community to bring them closer. And so we're constantly thinking about that. And uh, it's such an exciting challenge to have. Um, so that's memberships, I think, is, is a huge trend now. Every media company has to figure out how do we get um, 
our readers to pay us for our journalism. So that's at the heart of it. Uh, I think e-commerce piece is also really exciting. I mean, publishers are just crushing it out there. I think if you look at, you know, what Neil Vogel uh, has done with Dot Dash and his organization, I mean, it's just it's just incredible. And, and I love those kind of stories. Um, so I think e-commerce plays are, are really exciting for us. It doesn't really fit in, but I think, you know, out in the consumer world, I think there's a great opportunity around that. I mean, just look at what Food52 has done with their business and what Dot Dash is doing. So I think those are great examples. Um, also, I think email is really exciting. Uh, you look at, um, you know, a morning brew and look at how they've grown their business. It's, uh, it's exciting to see people come into a space and, and disrupt it and come in with a plan saying, hey, email is, is our form and uh, we're going to do it better than every, anyone and we're going to scale it and, and, then, and then bang, look what happens. Um, so I think email is also uh, a really, uh, I mean, what's, you know, what's old is, is new again. Um, and with email, the cool thing is that, you know, the various forms, it's, it's the briefing model and it's the newsletter model. The newsletter model is, is links and traffic uh, to your O&Os. And then the briefing is just serving the publication directly to your audience and feeding them the whole thing, you know, in that, in that sitting. So I think, you know, between memberships, e-commerce and email, those are three things that are really exciting to me. Um, yeah, I think the, the technology piece is always uh, interesting to me. You know, we, media companies go out and they build their own tech stack and then they go out and sell that those services, they build these SaaS platforms. Uh, I'm always curious about those. I, more power to media companies that are successful uh, doing that. I just, uh, as, as a media owner, just see that sort of outside of what media does well and is sort of a separate business. But like Washington Post is owned by Amazon. So, you know, it can build and, you know, create a tech stack and it makes a lot of sense there. Um, you know, Axios HQ, I think that's a really interesting, um, you know, opportunity for them, um, you know, to build their form factor and go out and sell it to brands. I think that's a really cool use, but we'll, we'll see how that goes long term. I think at the heart of what media businesses do well is build communities. And I think, you know, technology kind of gets you away from building communities and that's, that's a separate business. So if you fast forward three years for Digiday Media, where do you see the business? It's a, it's a great question. And obviously, I think about that pretty much every day. And I think about it at 3 a.m. in the morning when I'm staring at the ceiling in the, you know, in the, in the pitch darkness. Um, I, I see us, you know, much as, as we are today, people-led media company that's focusing in on creating communities, um, you know, in, in industries that are culturally relevant and being disrupted by technology. So I think that, you know, is part of our, you know, who we are as an organization. Um, I think we'll have more brands uh, in three years. I, I sort of, I really admire what Jay Penske has been able to do with PMC. And, you know, I see ourselves doing something similar, but, you know, really focusing on business lanes, although we will try some consumer uh, coverage as we go into 2021. We'll see how that goes. But I think it's really uh, having a media holding company with multiple brands uh, serving multiple communities and having vibrant communities and communities that really count on us and we're part of their, their every day. And um, beyond that, just having a people-led organization where culture comes first and people are proud to work at Digiday. And they say, you know, whether they're at Digiday or they've gone somewhere else, they say, hey, I had a fantastic experience working at Digiday. I learned so much. It's such a great team. Um, 
And if I had a chance to do it all over again, I, I would do it all over again. So I think if we can do those, those two things, I'll, I'll feel like we're you know, doing the work that we're supposed to be doing. I want to finish with the same two questions I ask every operator on my show. First, looking at your career, what is a mistake you made and what did you learn from it that made you better professionally? Yeah, I think the, the big mistake that I made is um, building Digiday. I thought it was you know going to be you know product first and then people, and it's really people first and then then product. Um, you know, I learned the hard way, and it's painful when you know you're scratching your head saying, you know, why can't I get the culture right? Why can't I get the right fit? You know, with with our team, and you know, why are we having all this disruption? And what I realized is that I realized the hard way is that uh, we did not have a people led a people first uh, media organization you know we didn't put growth at the center we didn't bring people in and and onboard them into growth at digiday media and it's hard because you're a, you're a smaller organization you know you're you're not a, a massive media organization that has tons of resources but you have to get that right from the get go and if i were to do it all over again i'd start there on building the right culture with the right people and um, you know, starting with, you know, our mantra, which is hire people and build a culture with people that are humble, hungry, and smart. And I think if you've got people in your organization that you surround yourself with that are humble, hungry, and smart, there's nothing that can stop you. You, you can do whatever you put your mind to. So I think that that was the big mistake that I made is that I put product and performance first and then uh, didn't put enough emphasis on people. And now we're, we're flipping that. And uh, we've been working on that for a number of years now. But, it, you know, that's one of those things that it takes years and years and years to develop. And um, it's, it's never an easy process. And if you could offer current or prospective media operators some advice to succeed, what would it be? Build vibrant communities. Figure out a way to build a vibrant community where you can give that community um, regular connection, information that they can't get elsewhere, um, and then that those members can meet one another and interact. I think that's where it all starts. You know, it all begins at community and ends at community, and it's 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 what you do to serve them every single day. And you know, that's what we think about every day. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe and give it a five-star rating with your thoughts. If you want even more, sign up for the newsletter at amediaoperator.com. Each Tuesday, I analyze the latest media news. And on Fridays, I do deep dives into specific strategic and tactical topics about building media businesses. Thanks for listening and see you next week.